Most investors have a mindset of, I only paid this much, or I could only sell the building for this much. You insure the building, you're actually trying to insure it for what it's going to cost to rebuild. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out all that fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. And this is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We're going to keep on rolling, keep the momentum going, and happy Saturday, by the way. And because it's Saturday, we're going to do Situation Saturday, where our best ever guest talks about a sticky situation they were in and how the heck to overcome it. With us today, to talk us through that situation, Darren Gross. How you doing, Darren? I'm doing great, Joe. Nice to have you on the show. Darren is a seasoned veteran when it comes to podcasts. He is the host of a weekly podcast called Commercial Real Estate Pro Network, and he is also a commercial property insurance broker. He's got 25 plus years experience in property management, multifamily, single family rental, and commercial insurance. He specializes in real estate investors coverage needs. He's based in Portland, Oregon, and you can say hi to him at his website, commercialrealestatepronetwork.com. With that being said, Darren, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background before we get into the situation? Yeah, you bet. Been doing insurance. I got my license in 1990 and started out doing auto dealerships where I started. But after a few years of that, met my wife and she wanted to live in Portland and ended up working at an independent agency. Along the way, I, I started working with investors. And from there, it's kind of grown into whether you've got a schedule of single family properties, whether you've got apartment buildings, commercial warehouse, or office retail, even some developers. But that's really kind of where I've focused. And along the way, got into investing myself as well. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about a specific situation that you and one of your clients was in. And that is a situation of the backup of sewer drain. And so basically, we got water issues on the property. When water issues come up at the end of this conversation, we're going to know as best ever listeners how to handle it from an insurance standpoint. So Darren, you want to tell us a story of one of the situations where that happened? Yeah, you bet. The standard insurance policy, it's full of limitations and exclusions. I think in the main, most people are, are concerned with fire is the standard, and even the bank refers to it as fire insurance. And what happens a lot of times is two people get, they look at the proposal, and if they're comparing proposals, they'll look at limit versus limit. Everything matches up, and then it's price versus price, and low price wins. One of the things that is not always included is a backup of sewers and drains. Many of your companies will give some limited coverage, but policy then will also be restrictive with respects to pipes underground and or there's various limitations, I guess is what it comes down to. And there's a standard form, but then with all of the different carriers, they have their expanded endorsements available, but no two are the same. So if you're strictly comparing a policy on a building limit for fire, you may not understand your limitations as far as the water backup and or the underground pipes and flues, et cetera. In this one case, it was an older building. It was probably a 200,000 square foot building. And the building was, I think it's pushing 100 years old, but we had a water main beneath it that ruptured. 
and water actually came, you know, full force, full throttle up through the floor and flooded out. I'm going to say it was, it was a section of the building, but it was easy 50 to 60,000 square feet. And if you've ever had water in a place that it wasn't supposed to go, you know, it's a mess. It's not just a mess, you know, to clean it up, but it soaks into things. And, and then you have mold and you have all sorts of other issues that happen. Fortunately, in this case, we had a policy that included underground pipes. When I was first called about the claim, I was a little bit reluctant because as a matter of practice, when I'm asked about things, I'm going to take more of a conservative route when I'm explaining coverage to people because without looking at the form, you really cannot tell. In this particular case, so we did have the endorsement that included underground pipes and then flues. The significance is literally it was hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage, not just for the cleanup, but then you also had the loss of rents because your tenants were displaced, didn't have a place to operate from. And per your lease, if you can't provide them a place to operate, you can't collect rents from that. But uh, it was a big one. Mm. Would it have been covered if rain came and the, the drains weren't draining fast enough? You know, again, from the exclusion on the policy is water that backs up from a sewer or drain. That's a standard. And then you have to go and look at, is there a limitation with respect to feet from the, the premise? Because if it's rain drain, outside water coming inside is almost considered a flood in many cases. Because if it's inside, you're talking about now the back of sewers or drains. But the outside water coming in, if it was water coming from the outside and it was supposed to go down a drain and it ended up backing up into the building, again, the definition of flood is water escaping its normal boundaries and it's outside water coming in. So I wouldn't swear to that one. And again, this is one of the biggest challenges with insurance is that you can play this what-if game, right? And the really, the, the what-if is on the day it happens. That's the only day that coverage matters is that day, that you had the limits in place, that you had the right coverage in place. But if you're just talking about coming in a downspout, or I mean a downspout plugging up, that's outside water. And it is a back sewer drain, but typically I think of the, the sewers and drains as those internal drains. You're kind of the reverse flow of your plumbing. Your supply lines, if somebody punctures a, a supply line, that's covered, a sudden and accidental. But it's the back of sewers and drains is something you need to make sure that your policy provides for. I had a, another claim one time. It was a tenant apartment building. The lowest tenant in the stacks, he had three stories, had somehow plugged the drain right below their unit. Just after plugging this, they departed in the middle of the night. And it wasn't until about 10 days later that the property manager going to look for where the rent was realized that nobody was there, opened up the door, and, and there was a bunch of ick that had come through the, the plumbing from the upstairs units having flushed and drained and all that stuff. So not a pretty picture there either. And what happens from an insurance standpoint? And by ick, you mean? Sewage, yeah. Okay. Again, depending on what your policy says, the point to reiterate here is that the standard policy has a, an exclusion. It excludes water that backs up from a sewer drain. So you have to look at your policy to see what is specifically covered with respects to sewers and drains? And it's going to be a special endorsement. It's not going to be just a standard policy form. I've given you two different types of claims, so I don't want to confuse things. But the first one I was talking about was actually pipes underground, which are not typically covered. They're excluded. 
The second one was more of the backup of sewers and drains. Mm-hmm. Okay. Taking a couple steps way back, what's something that you find is most turned down, but is something that if it was your property, you would include as coverage? I think the one that I point to and I see most often is the wrestling match between the limit on the building. Most investors have a mindset of, I only paid this much, or I could only sell the building for this much. You insure the building, you're actually trying to insure it for what it's going to cost to rebuild. And if you're focused on the market value, or you look at a tax statement that shows land as one value and and structures as another value, or your accountant's depreciated the structure, you're looking on your books as a depreciated asset, you're not understanding how the insurance policy works. The policy, it's built on replacement cost. And the replacement cost at the day of loss. So if you have underinsured your property and you haven't properly endorsed your policy and you have a loss, you could end up with less than what your loss is based on coinsurance penalties. And that's the what you did insure it for divided by what you should have insured it for. And then they take whatever that percentage is. And if you had a loss that was less than your limit, they multiply that percentage times your loss. So just a simple example is if you had $100,000 worth of insurance, but your building was actually a $200,000 building, okay, you're essentially insured for 50% of what you should have. And let's say you have a $50,000 claim, the insurance company is only going to pay you 50% of that $50,000 less your deductible. So I think, and especially right now, in the cycle we're in, where labor is tight, we've had not a lot of inflation for materials, but I know that when we run our replacement costs, right now we're finding values can be as much as 50% low based on what they were even five, 10 years ago, based on just the supply and labor and materials. What I would encourage anybody to do is, A, be realistic about your values. Make sure you're insuring for what it's going to cost to build it back. So don't get into a, it's only worth this much, or I can only sell it for that much, or or I only bought it for this much, okay? Unless you're a lender and you're only insuring your loan. And then a couple of things that I always point out to people to even give them some additional coverage and, and latitude so they don't get pinched in a claim is if you have multiple buildings, always recommend you go with a blanket limit. If you had five buildings, and again, let's just use easy numbers. If they were $100,000 each, that's a 500000 dollar blanket. Therefore, if you did have a claim at one building and it exceeded that, you'd have the additional limits available to you. And then I think the one that I would encourage even more so is to get the agreed amount endorsement. The agreed amount endorsement essentially takes that coinsurance penalty we just talked about and eliminates that. Basically, each policy year, so even at renewal, the carrier will provide a statement of values it's a form that says, hey, these are the limits we're insuring your buildings for. They require that you sign it, but then once you sign it and provide it, it becomes part of the policy to where that everybody agrees on the limit. So that if you do have a claim, you're not going to get dinged for any kind of a coinsurance issue. Especially, like I said, today in the current times with cost increasing to rebuild, that's a big one. As someone who just got the call, and they just found out that their property is a bunch of water in places that there shouldn't be, what should be the next steps? Get somebody out there to remediate, to minimize the loss, get the water out of there. 
that's one thing too that I always recommend for uh, property owners is to have at least a relationship who you would call in the event of water damage because that's one of those things the quicker you can get it sucked up and get it out of there the more likely the damage will be minimized if it sits overnight and seeps all the way into the drywall and if it goes beyond the carpet and into the pad and into the the subflooring and and all that can't be dried out then you're talking substantially more damage and i think too with investors i find that more and more of my investors are taking on higher deductibles as an effort to minimize their insurance cost so having that relationship with a remediation contractor that can get in and get your mess cleaned up in a hurry mitigate the loss as quickly as possible is going to be to your benefit mm-hmm. yeah, especially if you have a 20 25 50,000 deductible on a property because then you're going to have to be paying out of pocket most likely unless it's just a, a major catastrophe that similar to what you just you were describing earlier where there are hundreds of thousand dollars of flood and, and water damage right you hit the nail on the head there with the uh, deductibles i mean it used to be that you know 5000 seemed like a pretty significant deductible but it's not uncommon for a $25,000 deductible anymore what would you recommend? What's your thought process on that as far as what you would do with your properties? One of the big things that we're having conversations with our customers on is going with those higher deductibles, depending on what type of property you have. If it's a habitational one, I would absolutely first start by making certain that your tenants have renter's insurance. Because if it's a tenant-caused loss, you have some place to go. There's coverage for the tenant stuff, but if the tenant caused the damage, then you've got uh, recourse. In commercial properties, it's pretty standard affair that commercial space landlords are in the habit of asking for tenant coverage for any damage that the tenant causes or the public suffers as a result of the tenant's occupation of the space. But habitational has been kind of slow to adopt that. We see it a lot in the newer Class A buildings where you have higher level tenants and you have more stringent professional managers, they're in the habit of requiring that. But your B and C properties, a lot of them feel like, you know, that's just taking money away from my rent if I require my tenant to have that insurance. And there's a number of different ways you can do that. You can either just have them have them go out and get it. You can subscribe with somebody that can provide some sort of an easy button kind of thing. Or you even have now there's these, um, it's not insurance, but it's a, a deductible waiver that you can have your tenants buy and and at least there's a, up to like $100,000 for the coverage in case they cause some damage. If it's a tenant caused injury or damage, then that's a great way to go. But beyond that, I think if it's not a tenant caused thing, making certain that your property is well maintained and having a relationship with some sort of a cleanup contractor so that you have somebody to call because it's a special situation. And I say special in as, that, in as much as that your normal contractor likes to build something going forward. Even like a remodeling contractor, there's the demo work involved, but it's the go forward kind of thing. Well, the uh, remediation contractor is there to clean up the ick and try and restore it without destroying everything. And that's a different skill set than new construction. Absolutely. Is there anything that we haven't talked about as it relates to the scenario where we've got water and now we've got to figure out how to approach it from an insurance standpoint. Anything else that you want to mention? The only thing I would point out too is that in the last couple of years, they've redrawn the flood maps. So properties that previously weren't considered to be in the flood zone, we're getting calls on that on a regular basis where 
you may have like five or six buildings and there may be a corner of one building that's considered to be in the floodplain. And by lending standards, they consider the whole property to be in the floodplain. And uh, so with some work, you can isolate that to just one structure and get your flood coverage to match the uh, requirements. And how do you do that? Because you just said by insurance standards, it's the whole property, but then you've said that with some work, you can get it just to the building. Well, it's more of the lender standard. If, if the lender has a loan on your property at 123 Main Street, and you have a slope to your property, and there's buildings at various elevations, without a survey that would show that just the one building is actually in the floodplain, the lender will look at it and say that all five buildings are in the floodplain. Most often, or at least until recently, it was always, and I think still primarily, it's the lender that forces the issue with flood insurance. But you can either get a survey that will demonstrate that it's only this one building or that none of the buildings are on. That's the preference. Or there are services I've run into that can essentially do that. This one I ran into that will do it for the equivalent of half of what the savings is. They'll do it to help you out there. I've seen deals get killed because of this, because the seller has not been required to have flood insurance. The buyer is aware that it's now in the floodplain and the cost is exorbitant. So it's a big deal. What's that company that does it for half the savings? There was a guy, I had him actually as a guest on my podcast, Steve Gill. He's with Flood Risk America. If anybody's interested, they can listen to the interview I did with, it was interview number 35 I did on my podcast. That's going to be an interview I listen to just because I'm curious about the business model. It's similar to the professionals who help you get your taxes lowered by going and protesting it with the county and then they share in the whatever the savings is for that. So I think it's a, a well-intended and a good service to utilize, even though I haven't even heard it from him, but from you, it certainly makes sense. Well, Darren, this has been an interview where I've learned about flooding and insurance deductibles and what to do when you get a flood in your property. First is get someone out there to get the water out And what we can do now as we prepare for a scenario like that is have a relationship in the event of water damage, because as you said, it is a special situation where we're going to need professionals who are experts in that area. A couple things that you also mentioned, one is if we're in a floodplain, then perhaps only part of the property is in a floodplain. And that's where you, you talked about Mr. Gill and Flood Risk America, as well as your thoughts on deductibles and then being realistic about the values of the property make sure you're ensuring what it would cost to build it back. And then we're kind of hopping all over with a lot of different topics, but all of them focus on insurance and helping us be prepared. And if and when something does happen, then we know how to approach it. So thanks again for being on the show. Where can the best ever listeners learn more about you? Best way is to go to either the commercial real estate pro network.com or they can also reach me at jdarrengross.com. Darren, thanks for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Joe. Thank you. Looking for your next family vacation spot? Park Square Homes is teaming up with Amina's Mortgage Services to provide a turnkey experience for new vacation rental homes just 20 minutes from Disney World. For more info, contact Amina's Mortgage Services and you can go to their website at a-M-I-N-A-S hyphen M-S dot C-A. That's A-M-I-N-A-S 
hyphen ms.ca。